This is the podcast for Indelible, the documentary in progress for the week of September 10th, <clears throat> excuse me, 2017. Well, it's been over two months since my last update, and that's because I needed to recover from my injuries that I sustained on June 25th after a fall while running with my dog on a concrete sidewalk downtown. It was interesting because it happened just a few moments after I had a thought of how strong and healthy I felt. And then, bam! (laughs) So it was kind of perfect. Um, But that's the way it does seem to work. And I ended up flying forward, doing a swan dive, and landing on my forehead on the concrete. There was a, a wonderful woman named Lori who was a nurse who stayed with me and saved me from passing out, for which I will always be grateful. It was the first time that I had ever come that close to passing out. It was an interesting experience. But um, I also did end up with a broken wrist, broken in two places, a broken nose, and a concussion. So it did take some time to heal. I do have my cast off now, so and I've regained most of my motion. There's just a few residual things in my hand. And it's my dominant hand, my left hand, so it is troublesome, but it, it's better than it was. And I feel pretty encouraged that it's all going to be fine, so I'm grateful for that. And uh, But anyway, at the same time, there's... There continues to be pressure coming from various sources to convince me to drop the project. Nothing new. As I mentioned, the FBI had filed a motion for summary judgment to dismiss the FOIA case, and I have not yet filed my reply, and I don't think I'm going to be filing one. I haven't yet read their motion even because I have just not felt strong enough to do so. And honestly, after the judge stated at the last hearing that I described about how he was friends with the man who wrongfully arrested Carl Harp in 1973, that's Mark Eriks, who I already had spoken with, um, I feel there's, and he said he was friends with other people and made some other comments, I feel there there's no chance that his ruling will be anything but biased. The judge also, as I mentioned, had said that the FBI's attorney was above reproach just because of his job title. And I think he also mentioned that he was also friends with him. I'll have to go back and listen and look at my notes, but um, we can get a recording of that, so it's not a big deal. But um, I think he also did say that, but he, he also said that I was not above reproach, merely because of my position on the Harp case. So I I do remember that. So I could spend days of research and writing to defend the case, but honestly, I believe that it would be a waste of time because the judge would just rule against it, rule against me, and it would be spending energy for no reason. So um, I think I am going to file something else instead if I have time to do that, um, I may or may not be putting it here may help them to speed up the process to not allow me that time. We'll see. But basically, I will have been denied Harp's real FBI file, 
and my documents related to an FBI interaction that I had at Carnegie Mellon University when I was a professor and my father's documents. And they have claimed false reasons why my documents and my father's are being denied. They've they've claimed this they claim this during the hearing, so I know that's probably in their motion. And it's important to note that this denial of our documents just became an issue this summer, contrary to what they are saying in their about their position. Um, my original request for this documents, which was filed in July of 2014, so three over three years ago, um, included all of those documents, a request for all those documents, and uh, they said nothing about it and did nothing about it until just a few months ago. So I, it does, that is meaningful. I was also able to do a little more research regarding the recruitment of kids in poverty by the CIA. I mentioned the CIA. I don't know if I've used that um, acronym before, that agency before, when I talked about the mercenary work. But um, they were involved um, for the mercenary work during the Vietnam War and also for the counterinsurgency work and illegal wars in Guatemala. I had a conversation with a writer who has done much work with the CIA leaders, leadership, um, discussing their efforts in Vietnam and Guatemala, I think on Guatemala, but definitely, uh, but definitely Vietnam. And I learned about most of his research from his lectures, and I watched over twenty hours of them over like a one week period. And then we spoke on the phone, and what he chose to tell me was more interesting than what he didn't choose to tell me. So it was an interesting conversation. And I'll probably be saying a little bit more about what I found in the next couple podcasts. And as I was recovering from my fall, I thought a lot about the value of this project, as I usually do when I have time to think. And I am told repeatedly by those associated with federal law enforcement or investigations or prisons, <laughs> that uh, for sure the mercenary recruitment went on with poor kids, but they were just throwaways anyway. And one said they likely had a missing chromosome and so had no empathy, and that these recruiters, quote-unquote, liked choosing these kinds of kids. Well, I know Carl Harp did not have, or did not fall into this category. I know this because of the things he wrote. I know this from because of the actions that he took. I know this because of the things my father wrote about him. So, um, I think that was a, a really awful thing to say. And on the other hand, I see clearly now that the courts, judges, the feds, law enforcement, and their underlings 
might be missing such a chromosome, at least some of them, not all of them, as they, as many of them clearly feel no empathy and see nothing wrong with viewing these kids as throwaways. And not only that, they have no problem destroying lives to protect their bad actions. I also realized during my recovery that in trying to seek the help of the courts to stop illegal behavior, that I've merely given this little quote-unquote mafia control over my life, control over the direction of my life, which has kept me in a constant state of having to spend endless hours of my time researching and writing legal documents when they know they have any judge in their pocket and that he will do whatever is needed for them as he's one of them. He's part of their family. And there may be exceptions to this, but I think it's a rare exception. There's no lawyers who will help unless I have enough money to make it worth their ending their career over the case. And the ones who offer to help are also just in the same little family, so actually only work for the ones doing the wrongful deeds. So um, really legal support is not really going to be very beneficial, I don't believe, which is often why I've lately chosen to go pro se. Um, But I'm not sure really how useful that is. Um, But anyway, we'll see. And then there is what I've learned about prisons and former prisoners. I don't know um, why I didn't figure this out earlier, but it seems that many of those who get out of prison have gone through what can only be called behavioral modification, whether intentional or not. It seems that they're never really free from prison, but instead must do favors for the family of feds, law enforcement, courts, etc. And that they and that if they do not do these favors, and they can be like implied favors. I don't think they're direct. You know, do me this favor. I think they can be implied, but I think then they feel threatened that they will be returned to prison or have other types of pressure applied in their lives. So I think this is one of the saddest aspects of our corrupt prison system. I don't think that prison is a way to, a good way to punish someone for a crime. But it is a way to grow the corrupt mafia that I've described, the quote-unquote mafia, And I don't believe prison makes us safer. And I do know that prison is inhumane and tortures human beings. Prisons do this. Prisons in the United States. So while I understand why some former inmates may bend to this behavior, I wish that they would discuss it publicly or work on legislation to stop it. Because to contribute to this mafia-like behavior damages our culture as a whole and our future. 
especially with the growing prison population where many are wrongfully incarcerated and uh, many will be wrongfully incarcerated. Um, I'm also working on one other area about prisons, something I haven't really talked about. Um, I have been communicating with someone in prison for almost a year on nearly a daily basis. His history has some crossovers with Carl Harp's. He didn't know Carl Harp, but his his um, childhood and young period of life um, before the age of 16 had some crossovers with Carl Harp's. And I realized a week ago that it was unclear who I was really communicating with. We had been mostly communicating in email, and I know that uh, prison communications monitored I understood this, and it may be that most of the time it was he. You know, it's a possibility. Although there was this real change in behavior that started to occur right after the court hearing that I described where the judge showed his bias. And then there was a very odd sequence of events which almost seemed like an attempt to entrap me in some weird series of incidents. It was very strange. And I did some research and I found that if he was willfully doing this, it would harm him as much as me. So I really don't think he would participate in such an effort willingly. And then I spoke to him on the phone for the second time during that period. And I suppose that this will sound odd, but um, I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. But a few days later, I realized that his that this voice, his voice, his alleged voice, did not match his image in the photographs that he had sent. I mean, seriously, the voice did and the image did not match at all. Now, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think so. And... I honestly don't think that I was actually talking to him. And I did some research about changing a phone number with an inmate because I'd given him my new phone number to use when he called me, forgetting that he had to get all new numbers approved before he could use them and that this is a slow process. He's in a federal prison. But in this case, he was able to call me using this new number that I had given him in less than 12 hours. And I just thought of this tonight. Like That's another example of why the person I was talking to may not have been him. According to the prison rules and procedures, this would be impossible. So this also, again, made me doubt if it was he who called me and spoke with me during that period, on top of the fact that the voice and the image do not match. They just don't. So what if I'm right What if it's not him who I was talking to or writing to? I mean, being in prison, he would likely side with law enforcement and say it was him if questioned, 
even if it wasn't. So how horrible is it that he is put into such a position and stripped of his humanity by the quote-unquote family? And what does it mean to me that I was played all these months for no reason other than to gather information to use to possibly entrap me for some reason or to stop the project or to further invalidate my voice. I mean, I find this very strange. So things have been really challenging and I am leaving out the pressure that I have experienced personally for the most part. Although I may decide to talk about it at some point, but not now. I guess I would like to ask those who are listening, besides those in law enforcement, um, do you think it is not of importance, so is it not of importance to educate our fellow citizens about an ongoing and historical effort to target, train, and use underage kids from poverty to run guns and fight illegally in both legal and illegal wars because I see this as impacting their psychological development because their brains are not fully formed at that age. I mean, we're talking, you know, targeting them at the age of 14. And I see it as a problem because it teaches them to normalize violence, which even for adults in the military often has repercussions and is often the basis for PTSD. So I think this is not a good idea. And then for these same authorities who are involved in this kind of activity to view and treat these kids as throwaways after they're done using them, to see nothing wrong within within murdering them or throwing them in prison for life on false charges, as what you know it's happened with Harp, and then taking fraudulent actions to cover up their wrongful acts, like creating false death certificates, as was done with Carl Harp. I mean, is this how we should act in a civilized world? This is a real question. Is this how we should act in a civilized world? We're supposed to be so civilized. These are horrors that we described in other countries as a basis for waging war against them. But these same things are being carried out in the United States and have been being carried out for decades. Are we just accepting the fact that we are not civilized when it comes to the methods we use to gain power over another country, or in support of corporate interests, even if it is an illegal act of war? Do our courts, the feds, law enforcement, prisons, and medical systems have the right to act like the mafia, murdering, killing, maiming, harming, torturing, and destroying lives? 
I mean, where are our ethics? And then I guess I want to, because I'm questioning, should I continue to risk my life and the lives of those I love to complete this project? I know I am the only one that can really answer this, and honestly, I have felt so outraged by what I have found that I felt like I had no choice but to continue to try. But is it going to do any good? Is it going to help? Someone who runs an independent news channel said the other night when talking about another story that it's easier to get people to listen to a liar than to someone who has been deemed crazy, even if they have been wrongfully judged. But the way authority, authorities invalidate women is to get people to think they are either a nut or a slut. And uh, all legal cases use this defense. You'll see this in rape cases almost in every one um, as a defense to use um, as a way to question the victim. And my smears, my smear campaigns against me had, had these elements. But I feel that if I'm worth anything as a human being, then attacking my vanity should not deter me. And I suppose that somehow, some way, I will survive long enough to finish the project and eventually that someone will look closely enough to see that my research is sound. Because at this point, no one has. That article in the Seattle Weekly never, you know, that writer never did. They never looked at anything. They only created a false narrative based on old mainstream news stories on a harp that the FBI provided. And I know this because they were in the FBI documents that they gave to me. And uh, the Weekly made false statements about my father's history, which I find interesting and sad. Very sad, because eventually it's going to come to light. And I feel sorry for the person that wrote that story, that he agreed to do that. Because um, my father helped him once, so shame on him. So that's all for now. So take good care, and thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Thanks. Good night.